0: Here's what's true of Christianity. If we're we're just being incredibly honest this morning, here's what's true of Christianity. Nobody's ever going to get it absolutely perfectly right. It's just not going to happen. Nobody's going to do every command or or every opportunity where you should be sacrificial, where you should be generous, where you should be selfless. Nobody's going to get it absolutely perfectly right. And I start out there because I think there's, there's this tendency that we have within us that I think, uh, sin has actually brought about within us to constantly measure ourselves to a standard of our own goodness by that which we do. And so, like, if I do all the things, if I measure myself right, th- then then all of a sudden then I'm a good person and I, I've done things. So we have this idea, uh, if I'm perfect, if I do it all right, then, then I'm going to be a good person. And the Bible treats that as, as self-righteousness. That I've created a series of events, I've created a series of standards, by which I demonstrate that I'm a good person. What the scriptures talk about is Christianity not being this like self-assessment system, but it's really a system by which we we create a rela- or God creates a relationship with us. Where we connect with him. It's a journey. It's a journey where I get to interact with my creator. It's it's not how good am I doing all the time. It's who is God? What does he have for me in life? How does he love me? That's the focus of the scriptures. In fact, if you want to measure anything in Christianity, you go to Ephesians, man, you you measure the love of God. Look at that. Look how long and high and wide and deep is the love of God in Jesus Christ. Look at the unmeasurable power of God. Look at the glory, the endless glory of God. We spend our time looking at us and, and, and what we do based on how well we do it, And the scriptures are going, this isn't about you measuring yourself. If you want to measure something, look at God. Look at how incredible and how majestic and how awesome he is. And your life then is not, am I good or am I doing this right? Or am I, like, how do I need to do what? This is, God, I want to have a journey where I walk with you. And what you find is when you live life like that, there's a connection with God, there's a connection with your creator where all of a sudden you, you find answers to the, the greatest questions in life. God, why am I here? What am I supposed to do while I'm here? What's this all about? What's gonna happen when it's all over? See, I think, I think Christianity is not so much a, a self-measurement. I think it's discovery. I think it's walking with God and finding out every day more and more about God's love. And the way that he loves me, and how incredibly and powerfully he he loves and cares about me, how the creator of the universe would be compassionate towards me in my circumstances is amazing. And I think the more that we walk with him, the more that we discover in that journey who he is and, and what it means for me to be loved by him. And I think I discover more and more, the more I follow after him, I think I discover more how I should love him. What that looks like for me to say, I want to love you more today, God. Or what it looks like for me to love the people around me the way that he has loved me. I think I'm discovering more and more of how God has made me to influence this world through love. To be loved by him and to love others for him. See, I think God has, we're talking about spiritual gifts in this series. Where God has, through his spirit, given us a unique ability to love him and love others that's unique to us. And so he's made you, you, and he's given you your abilities so that in his kingdom, you find a place, you find a fit that's uniquely specified for you. And we're going to look at this and just the precision with which God creates you. And we'll see this in a couple of weeks. is really amazing. The scriptures point to that so powerfully. But man, he's made you unique. And the way that you're to love him and to love other people. And I think when you find that, you'll find something that's very valuable. And we've been using the puzzle to represent that. I think when you find that, you'll find your fit in life. And I don't know about you, but I I think we each crave this fit. We crave a place where we fit in. We belong. We know where we are. We know what we're supposed to do. We know why we're here. We know how we're loved by God. We know how we best love other people. I think we find that fit and we crave it just just like you're a puzzle piece. And there's one spot in that puzzle that's just going to be right for you. Like, and, and maybe as you look at the scripture and the gifts in Romans chapter 12 where they mention some of these different gifts and maybe maybe hospitality in the church as you're just loving on people, making them feel welcomed and cared for. Maybe you're part of our, our greeting team out there or, or maybe you're just you know, helping with different events where we need somebody to cook and, and nobody's going to drop you like a puzzle piece. Um, but there's a fit that's just right for you. And man, I think when you find it, I think it's a sweet spot of life. I think that's how God wired you. Last week we talked about this. this, is, this is, I love this. Uh, we talked about how we're raised in our culture to think that you find your fit based on what you do in life, based on, based on how well you do your job, based on what your career title is, what your ambitions and what, what successes you receive, that's where you fit. And we came along and said, the scriptures tell a different story. That where you fit in life is not based on what you do, it's based on who you do it for. And we said this, we said this phrase again and again, that what you do is not nearly as important as who you do it for. That when you live your life to the glory of God, what you do is not nearly as important as who you do it for. Because we talked about that example, that possibility, that you might, you might one day go through an accident where you're disabled and you can't do what you used to do. And at that point, is your life without purpose? Or is there a way to do what God has called you to do for him that your life is filled with purpose? I believe there is. In fact, I just just this morning got a Facebook message that somebody who moved away from our church to a different part of the country, and they were talking about how in in that transition, they left their dream job. And they went, and they went to this new location, and now all of a sudden, they couldn't get their dream job anymore. And what they found was that in order to have an income, she had to work at a, a grocery store. And she was wrestling with this change of purpose in life, wrestling with this change of value in life. And and what does that look like to go from my dream job to a job that maybe feels inconsequential compared to where she was? And she said, man, the timing of God's message to her through the sermon last week was incredible. For her to realize that it's not what she does that determines her purpose and value in life. It's who she does it for. For her to say, God, this is what I can do right now, and I'm going to do it for you to the best of the ability that you allow me to. That who, what you do is not nearly as important as, as who you do it for. And that we talked about that. That's finding your fit in the right puzzle. This morning, I want to talk about something that I love. It's near to my heart. Um, when you did a puzzle as a kid, um, you, you know what you did every single time? You probably didn't even think about it, but you did it. You set the puzzle lid to the side. You set the puzzle lid to the side because you wanted to know what you were building. Can you imagine trying to build a puzzle with no idea of what you were building? That would just be the definition of chaos. If any of you do that and you enjoy that, like, man, I will refer you to a counselor because there's something wrong with you, all right? Uh, but, <laughs> but look, you, you put that picture there so you see what am I building towards? What's the end goal here? As a kid, every single time we, went, I had two brothers, every single time the three of us would would try to build a puzzle my parents would have to intervene as to the placement of the lid because there would be a fight as to who gets to hold it who gets it right in front of them and at first it would be kind it would be like would you please you know pass the puzzle lid and then after a little bit it would get sneaky it'd be like is that free food and then you take it when they're not looking it's just all kinds of stuff that would end in a fist fight no matter what because you had to have the lid because you had to see what you're building towards Look, here, here's, here's the thing, all right? I think this happens in life. I think God has an image that he wants us to build towards, a, a life goal that he wants us to build towards. I think sometimes we have our own version. I think we've got a different lid that we look at and we say, that's what my life's for, that I'm going to build towards that. And I don't even have in mind God's agenda for my future and my life. I just have my own. And so let me ask you this, when you consider building your life, because really, when when we're talking about this puzzle thing, we're not just talking about building a a picture or building a life. We're talking about building a story. And and so the question for us this morning is, what story does my life build? What story does my life build? When you think of the future, what do your successes look like in your mind? That you've gotten to travel where you want to travel? That you've made the money you've wanted to make? That you've, you've done this, or you've done that, or you've got kids, or you've got grandkids. Or what, what story do you try and build? Because if we're not cautious, I think what happens is we begin to build our own story. And we think about our own future, and we think about it independent of God. And, and here's what I think happens. I think what we do is we, we, we reduce Jesus from being the God of history to the God of Sunday from 9 to 11. Like, God, I, I know you're incredible, and you're awesome, so I'll give you two hours in my week. Look, this isn't the, the Jesus that the scriptures present. Uh, I was listening to uh, N.T. Wright um, in his book, Simply Jesus Talk, about this this week, where, where we, especially as Americans, have reduced who Jesus is, that he has become a benefit or a perk to life. He, he's just sort of this, this side reality of it's nice to have Jesus in my life. That's not the the idea the scriptures present. That the God of history can't be reduced to two hours in your life. The God of history is not just an inconsequential role who's there for some spiritual safety net. Now, I don't think that's who you want Jesus to be in your life because he's so much more. And he can do so much more. And he's got so much more in store for us and for this world, but we keep shrinking him down. And look, this is a question don't you want him to be more than just a little component of your story? Don't you want him to be more than just an add-on? I, I feel like at the end of the day that, that we shouldn't let Jesus just kind of say, all right, he's out there. Um, I've got my vacation. I've got my retirement. I've got my career. I've got my family. And I have my God. I think our perspective should be more, more like my, my secular job is all about Jesus Christ. My retirement is all about Jesus Christ. My family is all about Jesus Christ. My hobbies, my vacation, it's all about Jesus Christ. Where the scripture says that Jesus is our all in all. He's not our sum in all or our sum in some. He's our all in all and he gets it all. And unless your life is telling that story, then I think what we do is we tend to reduce who he is. And look, if you want to fit if you want to find your fit, if you, if, if, if you understand from this, this analogy that you're a puzzle piece and you're looking for where you exist in life, if you want to find your fit and you want to find it really well and you want to live life saying, God, I know who you made me to be. I am where you want me to be. God, this is it. And, and you want to live there. Then you need to get this. That we are most, we are made to be most satisfied when we are most satisfied in him. You are made to be most satisfied when you are most satisfied in him. You are made to be most satisfied when you are most satisfied in him. I want that to resonate with your soul because I believe it does. I believe that's how God created you to exist. That you, as you discover life and you go about and you say, Jesus is nice, he's just a part of my life, I don't think it satisfies. I don't think it does. I think, I think it just leads to just kind of a weakness throughout life. I don't think that's why God wants you to be alive. You are made to be most satisfied when you are most satisfied in Him, and that's when you fit. And I think deep down, we all want to fit. In fact, when I was a kid, I I remember hearing a theme song um, that my staff informed me of. They didn't know about because it was before their time, so, uh, first of all, that's not cool. Um, but uh, there's a theme song that I just, when I, I heard it, I never forgot it. Um, so I'm curious if you, if you know what this theme, I'm not going to tell you what it is until after I read it. Uh, here's the lyrics. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Some of you already got it. Some of you already got it right now. Um, and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. What is it? Cheers, Cheers right? Cheers. I remember as a kid, I didn't even understand a lot of the, uh, like, the show. I don't know uh, about the show, but I, I don't even, like, I just remember as a young boy hearing that and thinking, that sounds nice. I want that. Even before, like, I was fully aware of of who I was and what God was going to do with me. I just, there's something about me that was like, that would be a good way to live. To have people know me, to have people who are the same as me, where people want me to be there. And I think what it does is it, it, it reveals that we have a desire to be known. We have a desire to be appreciated and we have a desire to be accepted. We have a desire to be known, that people know who we are and, and, and that we're appreciated, that people are glad that we're there. They're thankful for us and we have a desire to be accepted, that we belong. If you think about it, when those things don't define your life, they're the most difficult seasons of your life. When those things aren't true, if we take those three, known, appreciated, and accepted, and we took them off the table, even if we took them one at a time, you would begin to not feel the same. you begin to, to, to struggle with life. You'd wonder about where you fit. Or maybe you'd just be convinced that you don't fit. And, and so if you took the opposite of that, and y- you'd have, essentially, if you remember as, as a child, the story of the ugly duckling, where there's just somebody who doesn't fit in. They don't look the same, they don't have the same role. They don't have the same value. And so, so we feel like, we feel like the ugly duckling. And and as we think about that, that idea, I I want us to look for our fit, look for this desire to be known, appreciated, and valued. I want us to look in two passages, Isaiah chapter six and Matthew five. We don't normally put them side by side, but I I think we should. I think they're beautiful. And I think we see them in their fullness when we do. Uh, So we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to teach us this morning in light of that. Lord, I know myself, um, and I've been following after you for 30 plus years, and and God, there's still a tendency to to feel good or bad based on whether or not I measure up to what I think I should be by now. And the reality is that the scriptures tell me not to be consumed with my own self-righteousness, but rather with your love, with its endless nature, with its just compassion that doesn't fail. God, I pray today that as we consider that as we consider these passages, Lord, that we would find our fit in Your love, and we'd find our fit in the way that You, You uh, just pursue us and care for us. May ask that in Your Son's name, Amen. <coughs> so the book of Isaiah, right? I- Isaiah is writing um, the, this prophetic message to the Jerusalem, to the people in Jerusalem. And what he's telling is a message given to him by God, which was not a popular message. In fact, if you read Isaiah and Jeremiah, these guys are not liked at all. They're, they're hated and they're despised. Um, and Isaiah's message is, God wants me to tell you, nation of Jerusalem, and all your comfort and all your affluence, that there's going to be an enemy nation that's going to come in. They're going to conquer you and they're going to take you in exile and you're going to be slaves the rest of your life. Oh, cool. Could you preach that next week, Isaiah? That would be incredible. No, at that point, most of the people are going to say, get out of here. Who, who, who are you to tell me that God wants me to, to lose everything that I know in life? All my freedoms, all my history, all my value, all my possessions. Are you kidding me? This is from God. And Isaiah's going, yes. Yes. This is God's judgment because you haven't behaved as he wanted you to behave. And so this is going to happen. And Isaiah's message is very powerful that you should surrender, that you should give in. You should go along. Are you kidding me, God? Yes, this is part of your judgment. And this is bigger. This is bigger than what you think and bigger than what you know. And so this is what you should do. And and if you're reading Isaiah, there's, there's a part of you that will go, why should I do that? Why should I follow you? Why why should I not fight against this, God? Why should I give in? And Isaiah chapter 6 comes along, and God, God basically says, Isaiah, why don't you come into my throne room, and why don't you get a reminder of who I am, that my very being and my very role and my power demands obedience and respect, even if it's contrary to what you like. If I'm telling you to do something, the very fact that I am who I am is so majestic and powerful that you just have to listen to it. Isaiah chapter six, we see this radiant perspective of God in the throne room. I want you to see what happens here. Isaiah six, and we'll pick it up in in verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, were angels, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. What, what an incredible passage. Isaiah's going, this is news that you don't like, but, but this is God. And you know what God is teaching them right now? God is teaching them that you have never actually had hope. Your hope has always been in yourself and your circumstances. And what I'm going to do is I'm going pre- to bring you to a place in life where you, for really for the very first time, you experience what hope is. Because you have to hope in me. This is it. I will be all that you have, but I will be so much more than you need. In fact, Charles Ryrie, when he talks about this, he says, Yahweh, you remember, means the one who is everything I need in every circumstance. That even in your absolute worst circumstance, I am who I am. And I still sit on the throne and angels still fly around me and they still cry out and the earth is still filled with my glory no matter what. And some of us need to press this into our heart because when their jobs are not what we want, he's still on his throne. And when our relationships aren't what what we want, he's still on his throne. And when our physical condition is not what we want, he's still on his throne and he's still everything we need all the time in every circumstance. Really, really, this passage is doing two things. One is it's showing the glory of God by the fullness. Fullness is this, this idea that's overwhelming. And so so the fullness of his robe, right? So his robe, the train of his robe fills the whole temple. Like you've, you've seen a king with a robe that trails behind him. Th- this is to the extreme where it fills. There's not even a place to stand In the temple, it's just overflowing. The sky is filled with angels who are filling the the sounds with holy, holy, holy is the Lord, O God Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. You know, when we think about something as as great, we usually think about it in, in three categories. It's the best, it's the purest, or it's the rarest. It's the best, it's the purest, or it's the rarest. The best, so so when I moved into town first, like everybody was saying, like, hey, when you're getting settled, um, if you want the best burger, like go to Jackson House or, or, or go here or go there, if you want the bex best uh, Italian food, this is where you go, you want the best this. W- why? Because we have a desire for something that's better than everything else. So it's the best or it's the purest. So if, if you're looking at an engagement ring for a young lady, you're, you're going to, look and see is this is this they're going to talk about the quality of it and how pure it is and are there any imperfections here uh, and uh, which is kind of silly because you can't see them anyway you need a microscope to even see but you're going to look for it because pure is valuable or if it's the rarest when I was a kid we'd collect baseball cards and the most this this always blew my mind the most valuable most expensive baseball card is not the best player he's not a bad player. His name's Hannes Wagner, but it's the most expensive because it's the rarest. There's only a handful of them left, and so they sell for millions and millions of dollars. It just blows my mind. A little piece of cardboard is worth millions and millions of dollars, but, but it is because it's the rarest. And what Isaiah does is he says, God, in his glory, he's the best, and he's the purest, and he's the rarest. He's it. He's majestic. The whole earth is filled with with his glory, the angels sing and they cry out to him, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's nobody like you. You're the best, you're the purest, you're the rarest. And So then he- here's the question for us this morning. What happens when the glorious God meets an ugly duckling? What happens when this God, who everybody sings and everybody praises to, what happens when he meets a person who nobody wants and nobody cares about and everybody rejects? What happens when Jesus meets a woman that nobody wants to be around? And he said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This, this is incredible. This, I, I love this story. If you don't love this story, I think you're about to love this story. I love this story because it's, it's just, I mean, this woman for 12 years, for 12 years, have you ever been sick for a while? I, I, if I get like a head cold for a week, my wife needs a vacation for my complaining. It's bad. I'm I'm just I'm miserable to be around. Twelve years, and we're talking over four thousand days of physical pain, of embarrassment. Four thousand times she woke up hoping today would be different. Four thousand times she went to bed knowing it wasn't. 12 years of the embarrassment. If she would have touched somebody by their law, she would have been unclean. She would have, they would have had to spend time away from her. They would have had to spend time outside the city and go through a ritual cleansing. She would, she would have went to doctor after doctor after doctor to try to be healed of this. And, and, and in their time, they would have had the most ridiculous solutions to try and heal her. And so she spent, she was not just exhausted, she exhausted all of her money as well. Have you ever had somebody look at you like you didn't matter ever had somebody look at you like you were invisible i remember uh, about eight years ago i went to get a sandwich from a sandwich shop and the people working there weren't really that busy but they kind of looked like they were busy but they weren't um and i stood there and for 10 minutes nobody said a word to me it's the only person there nobody said a word and i thought that's ridiculous i'm leaving I'll take my business somewhere else. And 10 years later, I can still feel you, tell you exactly what that felt like. 12 years, this woman would have had everybody look past her to avoid looking at her. 12 long, incredible years. This passage is just filled with desperation. Of she knew what would happen. She knew everyone would have resented her for it. She would have walked in through the crowd and the second that everybody found out that it was her who was kind of weaseling her way through everybody, weaving through everybody, everybody would say, are you kidding me? My whole weekend's ruined. I gotta gotta leave. I gotta go outside the town. I gotta go through this. Are you kidding me right now? This is ridiculous. Why would you inconvenience me like this? Everybody would have resented her. And, And you know what just astounds me about this woman? I think she makes what is perhaps the most faith-filled statement coming from a human in all of the scriptures. And this is what she says. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Not if I talk to him, not if I ask him, not not if I get him to love me. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Well, why would she think that? Because the Jewish people... Had in mind Isaiah chapter 6. And the the robe, the train of God's robe filling the temple. The thought was even the the train of his robe was filled with his glory. And this woman hears of Jesus walking through through the crowd and and she says, If I can just touch his clothes, if if I can just the edge of his robe, that will surely be enough to heal me. What an astounding amount of faith! For her to say, every other human being in this world, if I touch them, they will become unclean like me. But if I touch Jesus, he will not become unclean like me. I will become clean like him. What an incredible thought. For, for this woman to know that Jesus held the power for everything that she longed for. That he was in, he was in flesh, he was incarnate, Yahweh. He was, he was God. He was right there. And if I could just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And one of the most miraculous moments, the second she does, sh- she just, she stops bleeding, she stops suffering. And Jesus st- starts to look for her. His disciples say, what are you, crazy? We're in a crowd. And Jesus, no, no, somebody somebody touched me differently. Somebody touched me with faith. Somebody touched me with expectation. And he, he looks for that woman uh, probably about a minute maybe till he finds her. He looks for that woman more in one minute than anybody else had in the last 12 years. And he says to her the most incredible statement, daughter, daughter. 12 years of neglect and rejection and resentment. Daughter. Can you imagine how wonderful that must have sounded to her? Can you imagine how and that would have just melted away so much of what was there surrounding her heart and holding her down, just being a burden to her in life. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And she's known, and she's appreciated, and she's accepted. And that's exactly what happens when ugly duckling, ugly ducklings meet the God in the throne room of of Isaiah chapter six, all earth is filled with his glory. So why not your life, man? I love, I love that story. You know, you know where this woman found her fit. After over a decade of people not wanting her around, she found her fit at the feet of Jesus Christ. She found her fit, worshiping and praising him. And this is this is here's the deal. This is why, this is why I don't want your story to try to build a different, I don't, I don't want your life to try to build a different story because your story can never do what, that, what Jesus' story did for that woman. Your life can never do that. Your life can never have an unclean person come up to you and touch you and be clean. Your life can never forgive anybody of their sins. It can never end somebody's suffering. Your life cannot. And so by all means, at the end of your life, when people talk about you, and they talk about your story at your funeral, no matter how great you are, whatever they see, unless it's what Jesus did through you, it's not going to be what changes them. It's not going to be what moves them. Your story is not the main story. And if you keep building your own agenda as if what you do and your glory is, is supreme, then you're building a story that will never have the influence or the power that Jesus Christ does. Your life exists for him. Whose story does your life build? Because it'll never, it'll never be able to do, if you build for yourself, it'll never be able to do what Jesus' life does. At the end of the day, it all has to point to him. Your job, your fun, your friends, it tells his story. I, I, I want us to, to kind of get practical here a, as we wrap it up. Um, and, and really just one challenge for us. Because uh, as I read um, the other day and I read this story, kind of just looking at it from a fresh perspective, the thing that stood out to me was the risk this woman took, the risk. Knowing, knowing all the ways that she would have inconvenienced and upset everybody else, and knowing this is just another this is just another attempt. This is just another fix, another solution that's not really going to solve everything, but she, she took a risk. And I was thinking about that with us and, us and our Fisk, our, our, our fit in life, and, and really just that we would take a risk to discover who God made me to be, and how he wants me to love other people. That I would take a risk to discover. God, what's the most effective way I can love your people, that I can love you, that I can fit in this world? Yeah, I was thinking about this because the reality is, that we talked last week about the American solution to spiritual gifts, is we take a test and it tells us what we're good at. I would far, far rather you take a risk than take a test. Just give it a try. God, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign up for the greeting team or I'm going to help out when well, you do South Side stuff again. We're going to do a South Side teacher drive thing. May, may, maybe you can help organize that. Maybe you can help deliver that. Maybe, uh, maybe you can get a bunch of stuff through your generosity. Take a risk. Take a risk. Don't take a test. Take a risk and say, God, how, how is it that you want me to impact this kingdom for you? If, if your life was about your story, I would see why you wouldn't want to take a risk. Because it might go wrong. You might be embarrassed. It might, I, I tried out for the worship team and they didn't want me. Okay. No big deal. I'm not building my story. I'm building his. But it, it, if you are building his, then take a risk. If it doesn't work out, okay. I'll serve somewhere. Maybe it's with student ministry. Maybe it's with kids ministry. Take a risk and find out. Get involved somewhere and, and just see we got a podcast that's going to come out in a couple of weeks about, about finding your fit through serving in, in, the, in the church here. I can't wait for that. I, I love this story. Um, w- as a staff in Elder Board, we talk about our values a lot. We talk about things like we're going to be a source of grace, not drama. We're going to have a rock-solid dependence on God. We're going to give our best because our best is worth giving. One of the ones that has just been inspiring for us and shaping a lot of what we do is that we're going to have a passion and an obligation for the next generation. Passion and obligation for the next generation because when we're gone, when we're up in heaven, we want Susquehanna Valley Church to be a church that continues to move the gospel forward in this world. It's a church after me idea. Um, and I love this because uh, I remember one guy in particular who happens to be on our elder board who, um, you know, he, he heard us talking about this passion and obligation for the next generation. And last year when we did Vacation Bible School, a- and he, he heard it, and he said, you know what, I don't think I've ever done this before. I don't know that I'd be good at it. But God, if you want me to try it, I'll try it. And I'll never forget um, the, the change in him from night number one of Vacation Bible School to night number five of Vacation Bible School. And just watching the first night, a guy who was kind of reserved, kind of not sure what was going on here. And then on night number five, I'm like, I, I think he's one of the kids, but he's three feet taller. Like I, he, just, he just looks like he belongs there. Uh, and, and he had this group, and they were called Poppy's Pals. And I'm like, that guy, that guy took a risk. And I promise you, I promise you, some little kid got closer to Jesus because of it. promise you that. Why? Because he didn't tell his story. He told Jesus, and he took a risk to figure it out. By all means, man, look, we got one shot at this life. Let's get it right. Let's build his story. That's where you fit. You are most satisfied when you are most satisfied in him. Because there's never gonna be a moment. There's never gonna be a moment where there's a bunch of angels flying around your head while you sit on the throne and your robe fills the whole temple. That doesn't happen. That's not a thing. But there will be a moment where you get to see that happen. And God himself sits on that throne. And you see him. And you hear him saying, glory, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And you're going to feel it. You're going to feel the excitement of it. So by all means, let's, let's backtrack and say that's what I build towards. That's where I fit. Take a risk. You're most satisfied when you're most satisfied in Him. Let's pray. God, you're incredible. I pray, Lord, that life wouldn't be so disjointed all the time. That we wouldn't just have you be this little add-on that I remember once in a while and I come back to you and you sort things out. And then I keep going. I I just pray, Lord, that this would just all be about you. That everything we do, we would have you in mind. We'd build to your glory. We'd find our fit because our heart is about you and what you can do in this world more than anything I can do in this world. Man, Lord, as we pray, as, as, as we sing in just a minute here, and we're gonna sing to you this holy, 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 God, I pray you give us a little glimpse of what that's gonna be like. And I ask, Lord, that that inspires us to live, to build your story. In your son's name we pray, amen.